What up, HyperChange? Welcome to another episode. Today we have a legendary Tesla guest on the show, Rob Maurer. Been way too long since you were on HyperChange. Rob, what up? Welcome back to the show. How's it going, Gally? Thanks for having me. Excited to talk to you again. It's been a while. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm doing great. I, I was looking it up and um, the last time we collabed was February 20th, 2020. Tesla was at 180 a share split adjusted in my NYC apartment. Seems like a, a, a total world ago. Like it still seems like we were the only people who cared or were talking about Tesla in that moment. It so was. now it's like. It wasn't, it was such a long time ago and you know, feels like such a long time ago. And that was all pre COVID too. That was like right when it was starting to happen. And yeah, I mean, it's like you said, a lifetime ago. Yeah. And so since then you've actually gotten your model three and you have FSD beta, right? Yeah. So I was wondering if we could touch on that and just see what's your review as like, even just a consumer. Yeah, absolutely. So got the model three last December. So I've had it about a year now, about 10,000 miles on it. Uh, got FSD beta, I think in October or September. So I've been using that for four months now. And, um, it's, I think it's difficult to explain the functionality of, you know, or the value of FSD because sometimes you'll have drives and it's like perfect. And sometimes you'll have drives where you're taking over like every 30 seconds. And then we're constantly getting these new updates where you might see some regression, you might see some progress, and it kind of just depends on the circumstances you happen to be in at that period of time. So I think as individuals, it's really hard because of all the change and just circumstantial things that happen on individual drives. It's really hard to get a sense for like what Tesla's rate of progress is, which was the biggest thing. Honestly, the biggest reason I got a Tesla was because I think it's, you know, FSD is one of those things that's going to be critical to the valuation in the future, obviously. So I wanted to get hands-on experience with that, try to assess the rate of progress from that hands-on experience. But I think it's been more difficult to get a sense of that just because of, you know, the unique challenges that are involved with this progress and how an individual might see it progressing when it's not, or you might see it regressing when it's not. And really only Tesla can tell because they're collecting the data from the entire fleet. So they can actually see, you know, miles per disengagement at a fleet level for each single iteration uh, versus as individuals, we, you know, we can't really get a good, good sense for that. We can try and maybe we do over time, but version to version, it's really tough to tell. It's funny you say that because I feel like if I have a good drive, I'm like, oh my God, FSD is so sick. And then if I have a bad drive, I'm like, it's the worst. Like I almost feel like it'd be easier if I was just like watching videos, not driving in it every day to figure it out. Um, but I'm curious, do you have any, like, do you use FSD if you're not like testing it or like making a video, like how often are you finding yourself using FSD? Do you have any sense on that? Yeah, I use it. I mean, I don't drive a ton. I think most of my miles have been from like longer trips, which mostly on the highway. So obviously I'm using autopilot 95% of the time on those drives. Uh, when I'm driving around Milwaukee, again, not a ton of miles, but I'm always using it. And mostly that's just because I'm always wanting to test it. So I would say again, 95% of the time I've, I've got it activated and I'm just taking over, you know, however often I need to. My most common intervention is honestly just pressing the accelerator because most of the time it's just hesitant in terms of which is the right way for it to approach things. Like if it's not hundred percent sure the safest thing is to not be moving. So either it's going to break or it's going to not go forward. So just like tapping the accelerator, I feel like is, is my most common intervention and that solves a lot of the issues, but, um, yeah, I'm, I'm always using it unless I'm in a huge hurry where I just need to have everything be as short as possible and as fluid as possible. 
otherwise always using it. We're kind of in different environments. Like with you being in Seattle, I think you probably have to deal with a lot more traffic and things like that. Like Milwaukee, it, there's weird roads and stuff, but it's not as metropolitan as like where you're at. So is that a little bit different than what your experience is? Yeah. I mean, my experience is I don't really, you, I almost decided to use 10.9 yesterday. Like when I wasn't recording or anything, like I had this urge to use it and I felt, I was like excited because I like felt myself actually wanting to use it because I thought it would be useful as a consumer. And I got so, so excited. I was like, Ooh, it's, it's happening. Cause I'm trying to really gauge. And I think I'm a bad, a Seattle, super complicated, like in tiny streets and like messy. And then B, I'm just a really cautious kind of not great driver. So that combination makes me like never want to use FSD. Um, but I'd be, so I'm almost like in the couple percentage points of FSD miles activated in city, but I'm so curious what that data looks like. Like you said, Tesla has all that data. What's, you know, is it getting better with each release? Are they seeing that a lot of people are engaging FSD who bought it? And that's why they upped the price to $12,000. Cause they just raised the price which for me, frankly, caught me a little bit by surprise because I used to be like, oh my gosh, they're going to keep raising the prices super aggressively. We're going to get to 100,000. Like it's overdue. It's overdue. And then they didn't raise the price for a while. And then I started to like convince myself. I was like, oh, this makes sense. Like FSD is developing slower than they expected. Like they're not going to raise the price. And then they raised it. So now I'm like, hmm, they must think it's getting better. So I, I'm, do you have any thoughts on that and how they're thinking about it? Yeah, I think like you said, it's been a while. So for me, it wasn't super unexpected for them to raise it, especially now as we get into not necessarily like wide release of FSD beta, but it's certainly expanding a lot. We had seen from DMV data or NHTSA data or something. I think it was NHTSA data with that recall where Tesla kind of botched, I don't know, 10.4 or whatever it was. And they had to like recall it. There were, I think 11,000 people at that time. And that was a couple months back. So they've continued expanding it since then. I'm sure we're above, you know, 20, 30,000 people now using the beta and Elon tweeted a couple days ago, still no accidents, uh, with FSD beta being active. So I think that's actually pretty impressive. And I've been saying for a while in my videos that I'm okay with the wide release because I think it's once you use it a couple times, it's pretty clear, like what it's going to be able to handle and what it's not. And I think you get a good feel for, you know, when you need to be hyper aware of taking over and when it's more like an autopilot type of a situation. Um, so I think wide release is fine. I think as they get closer to, you know, a, a even more wider release, they, I think it makes sense to raise the price. And honestly, I wouldn't even be mad if Tesla stopped selling it because whether you agree or not with Elon on the timeline for FSD, from his point of view, like they're going to, they're going to solve it and they're going to solve it relatively soon. Whether that relatively soon is 12 months, 24 months, 36 months, whatever, once they do solve it it's worth way, way, way more than $12,000. And the take rate right now, let's say it's like 10% or something like that. So it's adding like $1,000 a gross margin, $1,200 a gross margin to each sale on average. That's a decent chunk, but it's also not like Tesla needs great gross margins right now. Like they could remove that. They'd still have good solid gross margins. Yeah, the stock price wouldn't be as high, but Tesla doesn't need the stock price to be high right now. They're not trying to raise capital. They have $16 billion in cash on hand, not counting the Bitcoin. That's just going to continue to increase like every single quarter. So they don't need the cash. They don't need the stock price to be high. Um, and every, every FSD license, I guess that they sell is effectively reducing the money that they can get for that functionality later on. Like it's kind of crazy to sell an option like this for that price. Like, and people will disagree with that statement, but if the point is that if you believe what Elon believes and you're 
the manager of the company, which Elon is, then it's, I don't see a lot of point to selling it other than sort of as a hedge, which then it's weird because you're in a situation with customers that, <laughs> oh, you didn't deliver what you promised. So I wouldn't even be mad if they raised it more. I wouldn't be mad if they stopped selling it. I think it'd be fine. Short term, people that are looking for quick gains in the stock, that would be unfortunate for, but uh, longer term, I, I don't think that would be a problem. So personally, I don't have any issues with them raising it. And I know I'm being long winded here, but another thought I would add to that is that I've seen a lot of people arguing for basically the license for FSD going to individuals rather than being tied with the car. And I understand why people want that, but that would be way undervaluing what this is eventually going to be worth then too, because if someone sells me a license, like I'm going to use it for 60 years for $10,000, like that's a negligible cost for something that's going to have, you know, extreme value over that period of time. It's, it's like not even in the realm of being possible. So, um, they could sell a license for like eight years or something like that, or like six years, maybe something like that would make sense. But, um, certainly they shouldn't be offering lifetime licenses that just transferred every single vehicle, uh, from Tesla you ever own. Yeah. To me, it makes sense too. Cause the FSD is like baked in the price. Like I bought FSD for my Tesla. When I resell it, I'll get a higher price cause I paid for FSD. So like, I still get that value. So that's why, but that, that's just kind of a small point, but I also think it's interesting that the pricing's high. Kind of one of my weird theories about this, I don't know if it has any merit of Tesla's thing about this, is that it keeps the beta small. Like people are paying a lot for it. It's like super fans are adopting it. So I feel like that kind of naturally keeps it smaller into super fans, which is like good because it's so new. You have to, as a customer, give Tesla a big benefit of the doubt when you use FSD and be like, they're trying to do it. I want to help them out. I want to be a part of this. Like you have to have that attitude. So it'll be interesting to see how it expands because I feel like it's such a crazy science experiment. Like I can't think of anything on this level. Like half the time when I'm on FSD and that like it's driving itself and I see like pedestrians over here, this delivery truck over there, like there's 50, I'm like, are they really letting me control the, like, you know what I mean? I'm like, this is insane. Like this is the weirdest, craziest science experiment. Like it's so cool that Tesla and Elon like let us do it. And it's so cool how it helps the company. Um, so I just think it's so like, it's kind of hard to wrap your head around it because um, there's nothing like it. But I also on the flip side of like that excitement is also me, my paranoid like investor brain. And I almost hate bringing this up, but it's like, that's the biggest risk to Tesla stock is how much FSD is priced in, probably some of this self-driving thesis, but even bigger than that, how much headline risk do we have of something going wrong with FSD? And I just feel so much pent up energy the media has about hating Tesla, hating Elon. They are they are so excited for the first FSD crash to happen so they can get so many clicks on that, so they can blow it up, so they can make it seem worse than it was, so they can, and Tesla stock will go down 20% that day. Like, I just have this like nightmare scenario in my head. Um, and I, a part of me is like, that's because Tesla's doing so great. They have so much money. Like, as an investor, I have to think of a worst case scenario and that's a risk. But, so that's the one maybe that just comes to mind because all the others are have been checked off. But um, do you think about that at all? Is that like, you know, the science experiment versus risk reward trade-off of kind of putting this out in the wild? Yeah, both of those points are very interesting. I think on the first one, um, it's it's really easy to make fun of people that like get excited about beta testing Tesla software and like paying <laughs> Tesla $10,000 to test their software. Like I get so many YouTube comments like, oh, like you're paying Tesla to test the software. I'm like, okay, that's fine. I can't pay other companies to test their software, but sometimes I probably would because it's, like you said, it's really cool to see, uh, watch the development happen. And like I said, that's why I bought my car primarily. Um, other reasons too, but, you know, having the opportunity to see this 
progress is is cool and i'm happy to pay for it like there's there's no other company out there that you can even access any software like this so yeah if i have to pay for it and it's not perfect i'm totally fine with that um for me it's worth it just to see see the progress even if it's not you know fully self-driving me around 100 percent of my trips that's that's totally fine with me on the media stuff um yeah, you're right. There's definitely a hunger for this to happen, which it's sad um, that people kind of, you can tell people are rooting for it to happen, um, which is, it kind of just reflects on society as a whole. I'm not too worried about it from like an investment perspective. Um, I think people are just kind of like numb to Tesla criticism. Not everybody, but I think serious Tesla investors, whether it's institutional or retail, people get it at this point, right? Like it's not... It's not 2017 anymore where there was super high short interest and the stock was the stock is still volatile but with the market cap that it's got now it's it's not quite as easy to to move it around from media articles obviously it still happens a little bit but um that doesn't worry me too much what more worries me on that angle is regulation and i think we've seen like this administration unfortunately not be very friendly to tesla at all almost the opposite which it's disappointing to see, uh, given sort of the platform that they ran on. So for me, that's the bigger risk is like regulation, uh, specifically with NHTSA, like we saw the whole, you know, Missy Cummings situation play out. And it sounds like she's being recused from, you know, Tesla, Tesla matters, but I don't know. It seems like there's been a little bit of a shift there and it's trending in a lot of ways to be anti-progress, I think. And we've kind of seen this with like the Dawn Project stuff, like Dan O'Dowd expressing all these concerns about like hacking safety and FSD safety. And it's like, okay, some of these concerns may be legitimate concerns, but it's completely not factoring in opportunity cost. And there's a huge opportunity cost every single day for us not getting FSD. So for the company that has the best chance, in my opinion, of solving it to sort of like take every opportunity to knock them down it's working against that progress which ultimately is going to save thousands and thousands and thousands of lives so to see that anti-progress stance is is disappointing and that's what concerns me probably most in terms of you know fsd beta risk in terms of it being widely accessible yeah, and it's almost like regardless of political party or affiliation, it's like an American company doing the self-driving car and doing the electric car, creating all the jobs here. Like, objectively, we should be like, this is an incredible national asset that we should be so stoked to have that's like building all the technology our government says we need, but isn't building. It's like, <clears throat> it's so ironic. But um, I, I know, honestly, I mean, if that... we didn't have, like, think about if we didn't have Tesla in the US, it would be, I would be so depressed. Like... <laughs> Well, the whole There's world things would fall behind. Like, yeah, we're like electrifying chi China, too. Exactly. And I know that's kind of a hot take, but it's like, dude, like, China, to me, that's one of the most interesting things going on in the world right now is China saying, Tesla, come in, make a bunch of money here, and we're going to, on the back end, develop our battery supply chain technology so we can pump out batteries for the whole rest of the world. Like, that's another great kind of piece of news that's happening. Um, but yeah, yeah, I don't want to interrupt, but... No, that's, I mean, that's definitely down the same lines of the point that I was going to make. Like, China is doing this, Tesla's helping it, but they were going to do it anyway. And that's why we see such high growth rates from these China EV makers, um, is because there's so much, there has been so much support from the Chinese government to all of those companies, because they know that this needs to happen. They know that this is the industry of the future, 
and they want their share of it. And the US, we kind of just sit here and we say, yeah, like we're going to be the leaders in EVs. But at the same time, even though we have, we happen to have the leader in the entire world of electric vehicles, like we can't even say their name. It's just extremely frustrating. Um, yeah. <laughs> no, I feel you, dude. It's kind of like, like here in the Tesla world, we're like, what? But the, the Missy Cummings thing of NHTSA, which you mentioned a little bit ago, where, where they changed it and kind of intervened, that to me was such a like feel good moment for kind of not just like the Tesla community, but the internet and the internet being like, look, this is like blatantly this person's biased. For people who don't know, they've appointed this lady to NHTSA basically to regulate the self-driving technology development. She's on the record with all these super negative tweets about Tesla, super biased. And it's like, yo, like this isn't fair. Like we, and so I, I don't know, it just made me have a lot of faith in the system that they were like, there's a breach of moral something here, you know? Right. Like some action happened after points were raised, you know, which is great. Like I, for me, I felt the same. It's like, okay, wow. Activism actually worked to some extent. And I think sometimes it's so easy to get jaded and just like, you know, what's, what's even the point of saying anything? Cause it's not going to matter. Like no one's going to listen and it's easy to feel that way a lot of times. But then you see stuff like this where it's like, oh, someone did something, other people joined in and it actually had an impact. So like, it feels good for that to happen for sure. Totally. And moving uh, back to FSD, what's, I think this is the question on everyone's mind. Even Elon, I feel like doesn't even is grappling with it. How much FSD is priced into Tesla stock? And as an investor, how are you thinking about like, this the company that's actually gone zero to one that's working and the valuation of that versus attaching this mythical robo taxi valuation of yeah i actually think not a lot and i mean we could try to do some mental math here like really quick i'm just <laughs> typing on my typing on a computer here so let's say that's the average selling price is like fifty thousand dollars right and let's say the gross margin is thirty percent so that means on every car they sell they're getting fifteen thousand dollars like we talked about before, if the FSD take rate is, you know, 10%, which it's probably in that 10 to 20% range, um, that means they're getting, you know, $1,000 to $1,500 per car. Of like of that 15,000, only 1,000 to 2,000 of it is from FSD right now. And they can't even recognize all of that. They can only recognize about half of it. So of that $15,000, 500 to 100, 1,000 of it is from FSD. So even if you take that out, Tesla's got still industry leading gross margin, still industry leading operating margin. Um, and if we look out over the next couple of years, I just tweeted about this this morning, Tesla's price to earnings ratio is compressing so fast because Tesla has now flipped into the point over the last two years where they are profitable and people still aren't really realizing like how profitable and how structurally, like Tesla's been building up this these fixed costs that they need to run this scale of business for the last decade and now they're there and they like the operating leverage that they're generating is continuing every single quarter to be underappreciated by the market because they just like they we've never seen anything like this before we've never seen a vertically integrated automaker so people don't understand how much this valuation gets split up between the supply chain, between the dealerships, between the the OEM, it's all split up. Tesla owns it all. And that's going to finally show in the operating margins, even with very limited contribution from FSD right now. So the point that I'm making here in a poorly stated way is that as we progress through this next year, the price to earnings ratio is going to continue to compress like we've seen throughout this year. It started at like a thousand. Now it's down to like 300. After Q4, it's going to be down below 200. 
next year, if the stock price doesn't change, it's probably going to be down below 100, probably below 75. And you just can't, like, <laughs> that just cannot happen for very long, right? Because then you go another year further and it's down below 50. And there just aren't companies with the addressable market size that Tesla has, with the growth rate that Tesla has, before we even talk about FSD at all, that carry multiples like that. It just doesn't happen. So even without FSD, like with no contribution from FSD, I still feel like Tesla is undervalued. And that's why I feel so good being so heavily invested in Tesla, like 100% of my portfolio, basically, not quite, but pretty close, is in Tesla because it's just so clearly fundamentally strong and can grow into the valuation that it has. Like there's a super clear path to grow into that valuation, even without FSD. And if they solve FSD, it like breaks everything. Like just like we've talked about for the, you know, every single time we've ever talked, it just throw everything else out the window because it's so extremely valuable that it's, I don't think anyone can even successfully model it. So <laughs> yeah, I feel Tesla's undervalued short story. Yeah. And, and it's funny how even to people like us, it feels like Tesla keeps surpassing these high expectations we've had of industry leading margins. Then there's like, we hit industry, but we did even 2% better. And now we're going to hit mid teens operating. Like they just like, I've, it's kind of just in business. It feels like these companies like Apple, where it's like, they got it, they're winning. Like they go all the way and go way bigger than you'd ever think. And I feel like Tesla is like one of those. And it's like, like you said, it's like, it was, weren't we at like 800 million in EBIT two quarters ago? Now we're at 2 billion. And it's like, okay, well, it's like two, two and a half billion of like cash flow or EBIT a quarter. That's 10 billion a year. That's a hundred X. That's a trillion. So we're on like a hundred X, like the true earnings power, like now. And like you're saying, it's like, wait, that's going to double. So it's like 50x. If you look at forward, that's 2% yield. Like, and I feel like it's really high quality earnings. So it's just insane. Like, the, and, and what I keep thinking, it's like, screw whatever you think it is, a car or this or that. It's like a thing that cost 50 grand that they sold a million of that doubled and they raised the prices and they're making this, like, they're selling so many of these widgets. Like, um, yeah. I think it's it's awesome. And we're not even talking about the energy business, which I think is finally, um, maybe that's a sidebar because it's not even that important, but I feel like it's finally going to kick off this year with the Mega Pack factory. Um, like we might actually see some dope energy numbers. Um, do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah. So on the first part of that, what I think people consistently miss is that Tesla is at such like a tiny scale right now of where they're going to end up. Like even next year, if we go forward, you know, they're going to be at a 2 million annualized rate at some point next year in terms of production, that's only 10% of where they want to go, right? Like they're still extremely small. And as they continue to work up towards their goals, whether they get to 5 million, 10 million, 20 million, eventually, they're going to continue to build up that leverage on the same fixed cost basis that we've got. Not the same, but it's going to continue to grow, not as quickly as revenue grows. Um, so people think operating margins are good now, but like <laughs> they're only going to continue to increase. Um, and then as time goes by, more of the FSD stuff is going to get recognized and included in the valuation as it gets better. Um, so yeah, it's just, we're so early stage and people look at it and say, oh, it's a trillion dollar company. Like there's probably not much room for this to grow. Even if they hit their targets, it's, you know, they're only going to eventually get to this valuation. And it's like, that's so wrong. It's not even close. Like it's not even close. So yeah. On the energy side of the business, I agree. Hopefully the 4680s open up some battery capacity, whether that's from, you know, maybe they shift over Nevada production, put that in Tesla Energy, or maybe they get more lithium iron phosphate capacity from CATL or whatever. Um, hopefully there is some capacity here that opens up and it sounds like Tesla's preparing for that. 
with the mega you know mega factory or whatever they're calling it uh which is supposed to do 40 gigawatt hours a year we had some report that they were targeting you know 48 gigawatt hours a year in terms of their tesla energy deployment target for 2023 which could be like 15 billion in revenue so it's getting yeah it's getting sizable it's still going to take a while for it to be meaningful to the level of valuation that tesla's got um but it's getting exciting and they just changed the the financing on solar roof today and i i know that that's been a really slow to develop product but i think fundamentally it's a great product and for new home construction it's going to continue to just make more and more sense um so i'm actually pretty excited about solar roof too it's going to take some time but you know i think tesla will get there with yeah with solar have, roof. that was actually gonna be my next question do you have any comments on that because i know I also feel like that's such an exciting piece of the Tesla stories generating energy. You always see Elon put the slides of like this many solar panels could power the whole US, but then it's like they're just so busy doing other stuff. But I don't know. Have you been hearing any other gossip about it or is that it? It feels very quiet on the solar roof. It does. And I do think it's fair to be like a little bit disappointed in solar progress. I certainly am. Um, you know, even there was even a report, and I think this was confirmed, that uh, Tesla's using like some Chinese. Uh, solar panel manufacturer solar panels on the roof at giga texas maybe it was giga nevada i think giga texas though so it's like okay tesla makes solar panels but they're still buying solar panels from another company to put on their own property like that doesn't really it's not super comforting <laughs> in terms of like the the prognosis for their their own solar business i guess um it, we just haven't seen them do the numbers that you know we hoped they would do when tesla acquired solar city i think so it's, it's been a disappointing aspect of the business. Um, I think, you know, we're, we're probably not going to see a ton of solar panel, like rooftop solar from Tesla, just because I don't think there's much room for them to really compete. Like, I guess maybe with scale and manufacturing and brand, like there's some things there, but solar roof is actually a differentiated product. So that's that's where I have a little bit more excitement. Um, and that's, that's where we've seen Tesla be successful is take these sort of unique products, uh, start at the high end of the market, iterate over time, bring costs down using first principles, and eventually they've got a product that's that's sort of a killer product. And hopefully that's what the path for solar roof is. It's it's still unclear, but that's the that's the hope at least. I, I kind of agree too. It's like it's gonna happen. It's just taken a while. And I think their focus just isn't there. And honestly that's what it comes down to because they have bigger bigger fish to fry. Um and actually the last question on FSD before we I wanted to not leave it is the um the model two so at battery day we like saw the thing under the veil like we know that's like the car that takes tesla from i don't know 5 million to 20 million cars like this is such a big like this is the tesla that we see driving everywhere that drives itself i almost my kind of new theory is they call it like model robo taxi or just robo taxi and like it just doesn't even really look like a car it's totally newly and they're waiting for autonomy to even put it out this is kind of just a weird theory i have but um or the other gossip is, is Shanghai already setting up the production line for this? They already design it because there's a lot of gossip about that as well. And then Elon is coming on the Q4 call. So maybe he'll have some tidbits about it. But I don't know. To me, this is kind of like the biggest thing. It's like, we know this is the next Tesla thing. We know this is the next big one. But like, when, it's just when is it going to happen? <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm pretty bearish on the timeline, I think. A lot of people expect that to kind of happen maybe next year um and maybe we'll hear some more about it this year maybe it gets unveiled i don't think so uh tesla's just got so, like so much still in the pipeline that they need to execute on 
And I think people oftentimes underestimate that. Like, just like we we're talking about the valuation, I think people underestimate where Tesla can get to with the current product lineup. And I think that's been a consistent underestimation for many years now. Um, like, I think the Model 3 has exceeded expectations. I think the Model Y is very clearly exceeding expectations, just broadly speaking here. Obviously, some people figured this was coming, but when we look out to this year, Tesla should be able to get to a million and a half, two million vehicles just from Model 3Y, Model S and X. And then you've got the Cybertruck and maybe that's another half a million to a million per year. This can easily carry Tesla through 2023 and then into 2024, then you might start to see that that's more of the timeline I'm expecting for sort of like a next generation Tesla and what that looks like. Who knows? Um, personally, I hope it's more of just like a normal looking vehicle, but I'm sure Tesla's kind of got designs for both one that's, you know, no pedals, no steering wheel, maybe just like a sort of like a little bubble driving around, but, uh, hopefully they've also got more of like a compact car type of situation too, because Elon has said that they will play in every sort of segment of the market, uh, which obviously compact vehicles are a huge part of that. So I hope they have a more traditional design, uh, but they're probably, you know, I'm sure Tesla's working on so many different things that we can't even begin to speculate on so and it feels like they almost underestimated themselves with the model y and it's just like demand is so big that i think that pushback cyber truck semi truck like kind of everything so it was like wait like we can just sell actually two million model y's a year instead of one million so let's just set up for that yeah i totally agree and we can see like that's almost proven because we saw tesla introduce the standard range model y like it, they're selling that in china but we saw them introduce it in north america and then like two weeks later, they took it away and then it's never returned. So it's super clear that like they just don't, they're selling enough of the long range and the all wheel or and the performance that they just don't need the, the standard range in North America. So maybe this year we see that reintroduced as we get Austin and Berlin ramped up and you know, that's going to like double, triple uh, Model Y production. So I wouldn't be surprised to see that reintroduced, but Certainly Tesla expected to have, you know, a big chunk of their sales be standard range model wise right now. And it's, it's not. Um, and that's, I think part of why the margins too are so high right now is because the model, the model Y, you know, it's just, it's just crushing it at, at those, um, the long range and performance, uh, price points. And have you looked at the, uh, the Tesla website? Like if you try and order a Tesla, the weight is insane. And they, they're always pushing you to order the performance version because it's higher margins. They're prioritizing those. Like if you want like a, a standard range Model X, I almost think it's like a year. Standard range Model Y is like, or I guess it's long range, sorry, but um, is like months, you know, mid 20. So I just think that's, it's like, wow, the demand is is insane. They, they keep hinting to it on the conference calls. Um, Switching gears a little bit though, um, or actually, I guess if we're on Model Y, 4680 Model Y, do you have any thoughts on like that whole switch? Does it even matter? It definitely matters. Um, the question I think that I come back to is, does it matter more for investors or does it matter for customers too? Like obviously for investors, we're curious about how much lower costs can go from this. Um, but for customers, it's intriguing to, to determine if we're going to have like a new level of performance model Y, if there's going to be a longer, longer range model Y, or if Tesla's just going to try to, you know, basically match specs, but reduce costs. Um, so I don't, I don't know. I'm, that's one of the things I'm most curious about for this year. And that's one of the things I expect Elon to talk about on this product roadmap update is kind of like clarifying 
how this rollout happens. Maybe he won't. Maybe Tesla will just like, they tend to kind of just roll things out and not really say anything about it. Uh, and I think that generally is good. No reason to draw attention to it for people that don't actually care, which is probably a bigger number than we'd expect. But um, yeah, I'm super curious to see how they handle the rollout, uh, which we should be seeing now in the matter of just like a couple weeks because it seems like Austin's pretty much, you know, starting production uh, like right now. <laughs> And that should be using 4680s, so. Yeah, and I feel like they're going to want to keep it close to the vest. That's just my read on Elon. Like, they like why should you care if your car, you know, has this different... I, but, but I do think on some level, like, the structural pack is a little bit tighter center design, so it will drive better, just, like, no matter what the price or cost is. So it'll feel maybe a little bit... I'm honestly so curious to test that, but... Um, yeah, very exciting. It'll definitely like a feel different, and it should be a much lighter vehicle if they try to match the specs. Um, like they can they can do it with less energy because the forty six eighty should be a lot more efficient. So, um, that plus it's just you know the structural pack front rear castings. This is going to be a much lighter vehicle if Tesla doesn't ha like doesn't add more range, which would be an option. Just add the weight, add the range. Um, so that's why I'm really curious if they'll try to match specs. It's it's not going to be the same, but e either way, it's it's going to be tricky for them to handle. And I'm curious to see. Do you think they'll do like another? Do you think they will like separate it, or do you think that they'll just try to like match it? Oof, that's a good question. I think they're going to just update it one day. I don't know because you can't switch. It seems hard to switch all the model Ys at once. So yeah, you can't. Maybe like, it'll can't. be a new. Tesla still has to sell. Tesla still has to sell the Fremont made ones with the 2170s like they just have to until 4680 production gets way higher and that's going to be honestly I think probably like a year or two before they can even think about not selling a 2170 version so we're going to have both and I don't know how Tesla handles it Ooh, okay maybe here's another theory I just thought of model Y plaid or something and that has the 4680s and it's a trickle and they can get build up volume and then they kind of like move it down or something um, right. And then you've got like a higher price vehicle during the ramp up stage that also would offset like the cost of ramping up. So I feel like that's maybe the best path, but then, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. That's what, that's why it's like one of the most interesting questions for me this year. And hopefully we find out pretty soon. Yeah. Stoked. Um, okay. So let's go rapid fire on these. I have a few more topics. Um, Tesla and crypto. We saw them buy Bitcoin, which um, my take on that is I love it. Like we have cash on the balance sheet. So down with this theory of inflation. Let's dabble in new assets to hold, you know, as just an entity. It just feels strategic for Tesla to diversify and get bigger. So I love the Bitcoin move. Now they've accepted Dogecoin, which I think appears to be a joke. Um, and it kind of is a joke, but it's also like very interesting because the prices are fixed in Doge on the website. I don't know. This is something we could die. I don't know too much about it, but it feels like it's like 800 Doge for this, not USD converted into Doge. So that's interesting. Um, and then just kind of as a crypto nerd, I think it's dope. It's like, wow, this is a real company who's really imp imp implementing a crypto and pricing it in that crypto. So it feels like a big moment for crypto and it feels like Tesla. So I don't know. I'm kind of, it's like, I can't decide if I'm excited about this Tesla crypto thing because I'm a crypto nerd. And for really, if you're invested in Tesla, like it just doesn't matter. But then deeper on a deeper level, I'm like, they're dabbling with it. They're forward thinking. That's one reason. But the other reason is cryptocurrency is the financial system of the world. What secures cryptocurrency? Energy. 
Tesla is the energy company that's, I think, going to produce more energy than anyone in the world, control the most energy producing assets of anyone. And that's what Kathy Wood's saying is if you control energy assets, you control the cryptocurrency markets. And it seems like a clear collision of like the two most important trends happening in the world right now, energy and money. And Tesla's going to, so deep down, I and then you have Starlink, which is internet. So deep down, I'm like, it seems like they're playing with it, but I feel like this is a much bigger potential than people are realizing. Yeah, I mean, I th I think you're right. And I, I approach it from like less of a crypto nerd perspective. But so my initial reaction is like for Tesla investors, oh, it doesn't really matter too much. It's such a small, like it's completely insignificant right now, which that's true. But at the same time, you also have Tesla CFO being called master of coin, like that's his title. <laughs> so like Tesla's definitely, you know, they're they're definitely investigating the space. And Zach said as much on a, on a previous earnings call, like they're, they're interested in it. Um, and I think that's kind of as as much as we need to know right now like tesla's very interested in the space like you said there's a lot of synergies in the business that tesla has um or are building and you know where crypto is headed so it's it's definitely something worth keeping an eye on and you know with doge this is now the second sort of attempt that we've seen tesla make in the space um and i'm sure it's not going to be the last like we're going to continue to see stuff like this um Obviously, Elon's got a lot of just personal interest in Doge. I think, you know, he's said in the past, like, that's one of the other few assets that he has. He usually just says he owns Tesla and SpaceX, but I think he does have some Doge. So it's it's interesting to follow. And in terms of the fixed pricing that you mentioned, that's kind of interesting, too, because they have held that, even though Doge has now fallen below the price that they it was originally, you know, priced at. So actually, those products are now cheaper. Like, the, the CyberQuad is, last I looked, when Doge was, like, 16 cents. I don't know what it is right now. Um, but the cyber quad, including shipping was like $1,900 versus it would have been like 2,200, uh, to buy it with USD when it first came out. So they're still holding the price, even though it has dropped. Um, if Doge continued to drop, I don't know how, how much longer they would do that, but obviously it's insignificant to their bottom line. Even if they were given those things away for free, uh, they're just not selling enough. So yeah, I don't know. It's, it'll be interesting to see where this goes, but I definitely think it's like not the last we've, we've heard of Tesla and crypto and the overlap there. Yeah, definitely. I think something all investors should keep their eye on. And um, in the Doge, for what it's worth, just between me and you, of course, um, I've been hearing a lot of good gossip about like Doge ecosystem improving. And like, like ever since Elon and kind of he started pushing for it, like developers are working on it. They're going to, they want VCs to fund companies that are going to build on it. Like there's actually an ecosystem. And like, if you, if you optimize Dogecoin for payments and improve the chain, like this could actually be a real you know, currency that's useful for something. And that's what Elon wants to manifest. We know he has PayPal. So it's like interest. I think there's a lot, <clears throat> a lot more behind it than a joke, especially when you look at the whole SpaceX Doge one mission where it's like they actually sent stuff to the moon and they paid for it in Doge. And like, if you read the press release, it's really ominous of like, Doge is going to be the future international currency of humans. And that's why we did this. And I'm like, I mean, the King of Mars is saying this, like, you know, what I mean? like, let's pay attention. Like, um, okay. No, I agree. Right? Uh, yeah. So, it's wait, like do under, you it's own under, Doge? I have like a tiny. I own bit, a little bit. Just like a, just like yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, I have a little bit. Um, you have Bitcoin too, right? I probably should have more, honestly. <laughs> but and do you have Bitcoin and ETH as well? Yeah. Okay, dope. I have more Bitcoin and ETH than I do Doge, and both of the all all three of them are very small in my total portfolio. Okay, interesting. Like I said, I'm pretty much 100% Tesla. <laughs> okay, because while we're sharing, I'd say I'm like. Like I, it's Bitcoin and ETH are maybe like 20 to 25% of my AUM. 
and then the rest is like Tesla, SpaceX, but like Doge is like 0.1%, you know, but I actually do have, I actually do have good positions in ETH and Bitcoin, but, um, okay. Tesla semi, um, it's yes, we need the 4680s. It's going to take a while. Don't get too excited about these first liveries to Pepsi. But my thinking is like when the semi pops, they're going to have figured out how to build the 4680. Like the semi is the semi. Like once you know how to build it, just ramp it. I feel like this product is going to explode. And just as a cons like the way I'm kind of puzzling up the TAM of Tesla, why this the semi truck is so much more important than Cybertruck or Robotax or anything. It's like, okay, we're moving people around. Whatever car moves people around, that's a certain amount of size of business. And like, that's huge. But moving stuff around is just as big and we're not scratching the surface. So I... And whether that even translates into like a Tesla delivery van product that's autonomous, which feels like something should be bubbling up, Elon's hinted at, um, also goes in that Tesla freight network opportunity. But I think, I don't know, kind of as an investor, when I think about my time horizon of like three, four, five years, like thinking a little bit longer term, that's something I think the market is just kind of written off because it's taken so long, but I think will really, really move the needle once they crack the 4680. And so, yeah, like what's your take on, you know, this year and the future of the semi? Yeah, I think the semi is very underrated and it's again one of these things that's very easy to underrate because we just we haven't seen it hit the market. Uh and it's kind of every year on Tesla's earnings report they say like, "Oh, we we push the semi to to next year." And then they just keep doing that like every single time, which there are good reasons for and I'm not criticizing them for doing that, but it makes it easy to kind of just forget about as an investor. What I'm most excited about with the semi is the pairing of the semi with FSD. Um I think that it like honestly like it's silly to even talk about it because if tesla solves fsd again it just kind of breaks everything and it's like whatever who cares at that point because the stock's gonna be so high and the business is gonna be so great and it's all gonna be great but <laughs> setting that setting that point of view aside particularly for the semi it's exciting because you know they're i feel like i've been hearing constantly for like the last five years that there are semi truck driver shortages and i think these people make like you know 80 grand plus per year uh is kind of what I remember hearing. And if you think about that over like a five-year period of time, if Tesla can replace that labor, then that means the software value for one Tesla semi is $400,000, right? Replace an $80,000 salary for uh, five years, $400,000. And if Tesla takes half of that, it's $200,000. So uh, Elon talks about the, the value of the robo-taxi being $100,000, but the semi is probably even many times more than that. Uh, plus you have energy cost savings, which are even, you got that with a normal vehicle too. And it's even more so with the semi. So it just kind of like amplifies all of the, the good things that Tesla's built in more of the consumer segment and puts it into, you know, commercial industry. Um, so I think there's, you know, endless amounts of things to be excited about there with the semi and we just can't, <laughs> we're just not there yet. And that's, what's it's so fun, but also frustrating about being a Tesla investor is because like we have this super clear roadmap for like 10 years, which super fortunate to have that because most companies have like a two year roadmap. Uh, and really for Tesla, it's like, it's all done. They just need to execute on it. Um, and then even like the next decade with the Tesla bot, it's like, it's all there. It just, <laughs> they just got to execute. That was actually, I have the Tesla bot on my list here of questions. What did you think of the, the Tesla bot unveil? Pretty legendary. You went, right? I did go. I did go. Um, yeah, I was just laughing when they when they brought it out. Um, I was a little bit confused. I was just like reality distorted when they brought the person out in like the suit because I didn't immediately realize it was a person, which in hindsight obviously very much was. But I was a little bit confused at first and then just laughing. And then I knew it wasn't a joke. 
Um, but yeah, I mean, sorry, a little congested, but, uh, the, the reason they're doing the Tesla bot makes sense, right? It, if you can solve what Elon calls real world, real world autonomy, which is really just the, you know, Tesla's computers and software understanding the environment it's in and being able to interact with it, like FSD is going to do hopefully, then, um, why not apply that to a different form factor? So the logic of it completely makes sense. Um, and hopefully we see Tesla get there. I doubt we'll see a prototype next year or this year, I guess that's kind of what Elon said. Maybe we'll see one next year. Um, it's not something I think about in the valuation really. It's more of just like, I think about Tesla in terms of, okay, how much is the auto auto business worth? And then how much of green space left out there for Tesla to tackle, uh, which kind of creates like a free call option on the stock in my opinion. And Tesla bot is just like another one of those things that, uh, you know, if they solve it, excellent for Tesla investors. If they don't solve it really doesn't matter, uh, to the valuation at the, at these levels. And what about, uh, Rivian? Have you been following their IPO and do you have any thoughts on them? Yeah. I've said on the podcast a few times, like I'm not definitely not an investor at these levels. I think, I don't know, last I looked, it was like $74 a share. So some of the hype is, has died down from the IPO. Um, which isn't surprising given the macro environment, like a lot of those high multiple or yeah, no multiple, I guess, in the case of some of these other companies that really don't even have sales yet. Uh, I think it's good that a lot of the hype of those things is dying down a little bit. Um, you know, I wish Rivian the best, like I'm excited about the, again, having another automaker potentially in the United States. I was more bullish on them before they IPO would because I thought they were doing a lot of really good things and staying pretty quiet, like kind of keeping their heads down, doing the work. And then around the IPO season, I feel like it just like flipped, turned into a lot of hype. Um, and I get it. Like you gotta, you gotta raise money and that's part of it. But yeah, it's just, I don't know. The, the communications changed a little bit and I didn't really love that. So plus I just think it's extremely overvalued right now. Yeah, it'll be super interesting to see how this unfolds because they're insanely high value, have so much cash, are burning so much, are doing so much, like have so much from a consumer perspective, perspective they'll have a lot of hype. Like you see like MKBHD make a dope video about it. Like that's, Rivian's cool. And I think that was really hard to pull off, but from a consumer, and I don't want to like, because I'm kind of in the stock market world of like, huh, Rivian's a joke, look at their valuation. But it's like, dude, like, if you're in the market for an electric pickup truck, the Rivian is a dope product. So I think they're onto something there. Um, okay, last question. Maybe an IPO you're more excited about, um, Starlink. What do you, have you been following that much? And I, I know you're a space, we're both SpaceX investors, so shout out to that. But um, um, yeah, I mean, I definitely am excited for that. I, I don't follow it super closely just because, you know, I mean, I follow SpaceX in general. I don't follow like the too, much, too many other rumors about when, uh, when an IPO might happen just because I don't, I don't know that anyone really knows. Um, it, it'd be cool if it was soon. If not, that's, that's cool too. Just kind of depends on when, when they feel like they need the cash. I feel like the, you know, the, the best timing for it probably would have been like last year. Um, when everything was kind of out of control, although maybe that's not the best time to IPO, I guess there's pros and cons to both, but yeah, I don't, I don't really have any thoughts in terms of timing. What about you? I mean, I, I, I like what you said that no, I don't even think Starlink knows or to SpaceX knows. Like, I think it's just a moving target. And, and I, every time I hear a rumor, it changes at first, it was like, it's going to happen super soon. I think Elon was pushing for it. And then I think he's not. 
and then now they're delaying it and I'm hearing three years. And then there's the whole X merger thing. I don't know if you have any thoughts on that, but I know it feels like that's, I feel like there's still, Elon hasn't decided whether Strong's gonna IPO or SpaceX gonna IPO or, or he wants to merge them. And those are kind of the options that he's like thinking through. Yeah, I'm not really a fan of the merger idea because I think it suppresses the valuation. Um, like that's why you see companies spin off. Other companies, you know, spin off is just because some of the parts is not always, you know, fully valued in the market because you've got people that want to invest in different segments of the business, right? So the more you combine those, the more, you know, the less those people are going to want to invest and that's just naturally going to suppress the valuation. So from just a pure investor perspective, not something I have a ton of interest in um, unless it gave Tesla investors access to SpaceX or to Neuralink, like that would be a positive for Tesla investors, but then you know, it's probably a negative for, for those companies too. Like they could probably raise money at, you know, a better valuation staying separate. So I don't, I don't really see the justification for it. Um, unless it helps Tesla run, you know, X run the business, the businesses in a more seamless manner. Like if Tesla's going to highly collaborate with Starlink and put Starlink, you know, service at every single supercharger, they can do that as separate companies, but in some cases it may just be easier to to combine. So if it makes business sense, I guess go for it. But it's not something I'm like, yeah, like super excited about as an investor, I guess. Yeah. Now that I think about it, it feels like the going private thing where Elon like got hella hyped on it. And it's like, yeah, this is a dope idea. And then it's like, all right, well now when you talk about it with your team, they're like, dude, we can't do this. Like it would just be a mess. Like how do we actually do it? You know what I mean? Like it can't happen, but like he kind of wants to, but yeah, the ideal scenario that I that I would love would be if like long-term Tesla investors got access to buying shares in those companies. Like that would be, I don't even know if that's possible, but that would be, I think that would be the reason that investors would want to see a company like X happen is really just access to those companies. Like at the end of the day, I think that's what people in support of the idea are actually wanting. Um, so if there was another path to make that happen, I think that would be preferable, but I don't know if that's possible either. Great point, Elon. Think about that. <laughs> um, all right. Well, thank you so much, Rob. This has been dope. And I we definitely got a collab uh, sooner than the last collab, like less time. <laughs> yeah, we gotta get we gotta get Maddie Mogul and Jay Filch yes, back on. That'll there. be legendary. Gotta do another round table. Round table. Let's make it happen. Um, yeah, but thank you so much, Rob. Every I'll put a link to your channel below. Everyone check it out. And yeah, have a great day. See you again soon. Thanks, Kelly. Peace.